So our title this morning is Grounds for Boasting. Paul is giving us a framework. He's giving us some grounds for our boasting. Do you know it's appropriate to boast? If you got the right grounds, it's appropriate to boast. It's interesting, isn't it, how the human heart works? In particular, how it seeks to boast or we've talked about this before, but how it, how it leaks information. Like there's, there's, a, uh, there's a subtle way to boast about yourself where you just leak little details about yourself that doesn't, it's not this, this bold, this brash boasting, this pride, this arrogance that's, that's super obvious, but just little drips of information that might cause a question to be perked or a, oh, really, kind of, and, and we all uh, lean in that direction. This boasting in the flesh. To boast is to assign a worth or a, a value, right? It's to, it's to exalt something. And when we boast in ourselves, what we're doing is we're exalting ourselves. We're, we're seeking to, if you will, leak out that information, to, to give some information, to, to, to let those around us know that that I have some worth, I have some value that perhaps you didn't know about. And I need to let you know that so that you can be impressed and that you can exalt. That's what boasting does. It leads us to exalt. How odd is that, the human heart? Like how odd is it that our hearts would be inclined towards that? How weird is it really? the fallen nature of man, that we would actually leak information or that we would, we would make comments that would cause or it would be our desire to cause others to think more highly about us, to exalt ourselves. Isn't that weird that that's a part of us? You realize that's a part of everybody in the room, right? Every one of us has this temptation. How Odd is it that we boast in ourselves? How odd is it that we would boast in our abilities or perhaps in our knowledge or perhaps in our gifts, which are God-given in the first place? That we would be glory thieves is what that is. That we would, that we would literally say things and steal away from the giver of gifts and in some way twist things as if those gifts are just inherent in us. And we have, some, we have in some form or fashion arrived at some place on our own, outside of the Lord, boast in me. It's interesting how the human heart works. If you want to boast, you will never go wrong. Never. Like you want to be careful when you use the word never and ever and always and 
you will never go wrong when you boast in the Lord. You can't go wrong. You will never go wrong when you boast in the cross of Christ. And so Paul is, he's closing up this letter to Galatians. This morning, we are closing up our series in Galatians. And, and with that closing, he speaks to the Galatians and he speaks to us and he's giving them and us, here's a reason for loud boasting. Boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's dive in. Point number one, sounds a little bit odd, but I'll explain it. Hand me the phone. Hand me the phone. Because I read, I read verse 11 like it's a hand me the phone type of situation. All right, let's read 11 again. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, if you're a parent and you're, you're, your teenager is in the house and is making a phone call, um, perhaps something's gone wrong at the, at the store or something online and they're trying to make it right and you're, you're trying to encourage them to make that phone call in a text generation, actually to dial the number and make the phone call themselves. And as you're listening to that phone call, you can tell it's not going well for your teen. As they're appealing that perhaps the purchase they made, um, they were charged incorrectly or they need to make a return. And, and w- whatever the scenario is, you can tell as a parent that conversation is not going well. And at some point, you just say, hand me the phone. Give me the phone. Because you want to take care of that, right? You're, you're realizing, just listening to the one side of the conversation, you're realizing that the person on the other end of the phone is not giving your son or daughter due respect. And because they're a teenager and they can tell and that's coming through, you just say, hand me the phone. Well, this for Paul is a hand me the phone moment. He's wrapping up his letter The letter was probably written by a scribe. And here now at the end of the letter, he's saying, I'm writing with my own hand. Give me the phone. (laughs) Give me the pen. I want you to know, Galatians, Trinity, I, Paul, am taking the pen in my hand and I'm writing to you with large letters, he says. It's to say, this is my Last appeal. I want you to know that this isn't being written by a a second voice or a second person, but this is being written by my own hand. Give me the pen. And so it's a point of emphasis. It's the end of the letter. It's this, I want you to hear this from me. I, I want you to know that this is me speaking. This is, this is me personally from my hand. It's not distant. It's not an unknown writer. This is me. This is your brother. This is the Apostle Paul. Because as he closes out the letter, this entire letter has not been secondary matters. This is not to be handled by a secondary person for secondary matters. They're not peripheral things. This is front and center. Let's review just a couple pieces. Galatians chapter one, verse six. I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Give me the pen. Verse, chapter one, verse nine. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Chapter three, verse one. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The righteous shall live by faith. He he fleshes out in chapter three, chapter four. You are sons of God. Verse six, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Chapter five, verse 14, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he takes us to, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, etc. So he takes the pen in hand. He's saying, give me the phone. Let me handle this myself. And he begins to unpack for them how their motives have gone wrong. And so that's point two for us this morning. Motives gone wrong. Look at verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So in that verse, he gives us two motives for what's taking place in Galatians. And where we began the series, right, is Galatians is not just some distant place thousands of years ago, but Galatians, the temptations of Galatians exist right here in our hearts and here at Trinity. And so here how our motives go wrong. The first one there in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. A good showing or what we described a couple weeks ago as fruit stapling. And it's this idea that I'm in my, my yard and I've bought a bag of oranges, nice, bright, shiny oranges and I've got my bag of oranges and I walk them out to my oak tree and I begin to staple oranges onto my oak tree so that I can make a good showing in the flesh. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing by, by stepping away from the gospel and embracing in, in particular what Paul's bringing up here is circumcision. They're saying, by our circumcision, we are making ourselves right before God. And Paul is saying, foolish Galatians, give me the pen. That your motive is to put some sort of good show before others. For you to show up at my house and say, wow, 
What an amazing orange tree. What beautiful oranges stapled to that oak tree. And church, we do this. We do this. And how odd is it that when we do this, it's foolish enough that we would A, do this, and B, then boast in this. They desire to have a moral religion or a moral gospel. These are folks that want to press other believers who are trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. They're seeking to press this show of good efforts of fruit stapling, they're they're trying to press the other believers into this moralism. In doing so, they don't have the good sense of saying, here would be more accurate. You need to follow circumcision and every other Old Testament law. That actually would be a better representation and hopefully it would lead them to the gospel. That's what the law does. The law busts us and helps us to see, oh, I'm not able to pick and choose certain, I'm gonna grab this piece of the law and this piece of the law. Uh, No, I need to staple all the law to the tree. And it exposes, oh, I can't keep the law. What the Galatians are doing here is they're recommending to other believers this superficial route. And I'm gonna say it's an easy route rather than trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. So the first motive that goes wrong is this, I'm gonna show you fruit. I'm gonna, there's gonna be a good showing of fruit. And the second thing that goes wrong is he says, in order that they may not be persecuted. So this is what's driving their work salvation is they don't want to be persecuted. That is their motive, to show good works and to not be persecuted. And that's exactly what they've been doing to Paul. What does he say in verse 17? From now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul has been persecuted. He can show it on his body. So who's doing the who's doing the persecution? Who does the saved by grace crowd? He's saying is being persecuted. By another crowd. Who, who does that persecution? To answer that, I want to do a little, in some ways, it's a little side traveling. Um, I want to do a little world viewing with you. I want to do that to help you consider our worldview conference coming up in about six weeks. 
And beginning next week, Steve will be preaching next week. We're going to do a two-week series on worldview. And so think of this as maybe a little bit of a primer for our conference. But I think it's important for us in regards to our text this morning. So I used this picture um, on my blog this past week. Do we have that picture? That's me. (laughs) I like this picture. I, I, I like this guy just being... Somewhere um, on a map, maps say something. Like I want us to kind of think about maps for, for a little bit. They, they share something in common, maps do. They share something in common with your worldview. Maps are a form of a belief system. Maps are something that we put our faith into. You test the map. Or you could say you test the belief system to see if the map is what? True. Is the map accurate? Can the map be trusted? Can it be believed? How many many of you remember, this this is for those of you who are I don't know, more than 20 years old. Um, You remember like, I'm saying maps right now. Half the people in the room are thinking of paper. The other half are thinking of phones. And when the GPS first came out, it was horrible. It was miserable. It 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 was marriage breaking. It was terrible. You'd end up somewhere and you'd be like, what? why are we here? This has nothing to do with where we want to be. And you, you couldn't trust the map, the GPS. They have improved. We've got a lot more satellites flying around us right now. Can the map be trusted? Can it be believed in? We determine where are we on the map, right? You've stopped at the rest stop. It says you are here. Oh no, we got so far to go. And then... Based on where you are currently, you chart a course to where you're going, right? And if the map is true, then you will arrive at your planned destination. It's a glorious thing that we don't give any thought to at all. A map is making a truth claim. When you follow the directions, you're testing the map's truth claim. Now, we do this in a thousand, thousands of different ways every day. You do this with the light switch. You do this with laws of what we would call laws of nature. You do this eating and drinking. Like you're you're testing the truth claim. I'll just say the city of Titusville makes a truth claim that the water we drink will not kill us. (laughs) And if you question that truth claim, you probably have spent money 
maybe reasonably so, on a filter system. And those of us who don't have one go, oh, wow, that's so cool. I kind of think I probably should save some money and do that too. (laughs) You do this trusting of truth claims with relationships. You do this all day long. The chair you're sitting on, that chair made a truth claim. You didn't even think about it. That in faith, you sat down and it would support you. You get on an airplane. Like, well, I, I just think of airplanes. Well, they're in the news right now, especially. But I don't think I've ever Googled what plane I'll be flying later on in the year, which I am. And I wanted to see, is it a Boeing 737? I just want to know. You get on that airplane and you trust a truth claim that this airplane has been engineered to stay in the air. And you're trusting in a pilot that you've never met before. I just find that so fascinating. As I sit down in my chair and I go, really? Am I really? I've got, I know nothing about this pilot. I don't know how his marriage is doing. I don't know that he's all there. I am just going to trust this stranger. I don't get the opportunity to interview the pilot. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust the mechanics who worked on the plane. I'm going to trust the engineers who built it. Because the plane makes a truth claim. Life makes a truth claim. And then we map it out or we try it out, and we see if the truth claim got us to our intended destination. Was what we put our faith in and our trust in true? Or did the GPS set us off course? All right, stick with me. This is all coming back to Galatians. Because we live in a day where we're told in popular culture that the truth can't be known. Or that truth is a moving target. How is it a moving target? Well, it's a moving target when we hear sentiments like, and maybe we've even thought this, what's true for you might not be true for me. Well, either it's true or it's not true. Respectfully, what's true for you might not be true for me doesn't make sense. Either that road, I'm on the map, and there's a road that's going to take me. I need to get to Colorado. Either that road's going to take me to Colorado or I'm going to get on 95 and head south. But just because it's true for me that I'm going to get on 95 and go south doesn't mean it's true that I'll end up in Colorado. Actually, I won't end up in Colorado if I head on 95 south. Fortunately, we can know truth in a million moments of every day of our lives. If there is no truth or if truth cannot be known, listen, if truth cannot be known, then we should dismiss Christianity out of hand. This is your roadmap. 
how do we get to our destination? This is the word of God. It is truth. We can't say that, well, this is true and the Book of Mormon is true and just fill in the blank of, of any text that's considered instruction for destination. We can't say that both of those are true. They're, they, they're mutually exclusive. And while it sounds nice to be tolerant like that, it's not nice. It's not kind to tell the stranger at the gas station who's headed to Colorado when he tells you that he's getting on 95 headed south. Because it's not true that he's going to end up at the destination that he desires to go. One time, my wife and I, is the one time we got to go to England. We were there for four hours. <laughs> it was a stopover. And so we had kind of planned it. We landed at Gatwick and we got off the plane and we knew we had four hours. So we hopped on um, the train, the whatever it's called. We got on to go into London, and after about three stops, a gentleman got on. He could tell we're not from here. Uh, he looked at us and said, where are you going? And we said, we're going to London. We got a couple hours. He's like, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> so what, huh, you know, and, and so the train is still stopping. He's like, I'm serious, you're going to, we're like, really having a hard time to trust his truth claim. And he convinced us, you need to get off the, you need to get off, you need to be headed the other direction. We hop off the train, London fog, we're cold, not dressed for this. Train is starting to move away and we realize our luggage is still on that train. Yeah, it was not good. We didn't get to see much of London. <laughs> we did get our luggage back, but... Um, yeah, that's our experience in London, so we're going back. So, it's not true. It's not, it's not even kind. It would be so unkind of that man to just allow us to continue on that train in the wrong direction, even though what was true for us was we're going to London. We had a hard time with that. We didn't believe him. He had to convince us, you're going the wrong way. And it was kind of him to do so. How foolish it is for us to say, well, what's true for you isn't true for me because I've got my own truth. There is only one way to London on that train. And you're going the wrong way. Now, who's the crowd that's persecuting? There's three different crowds then and now. The first one is the insulated. Look at chapter five, verse 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Pretty radical speech there. This is the crowd that's offended by the gospel, the insulated. How? Well, they don't want to hear. And you might be here this morning and you're a part of that crowd and you're, you're insulated. You don't want to hear that, that you and I, we are too weak to save ourselves. That's not a good American 
way of thinking. Like as, as Americans, we want to represent ourselves not as the weak, but as the strong, that, that we can bear up, that we're strong enough, and we're, we're morally strong enough to save ourselves. I'm good enough to be saved. That's my truth claim. That's the truth claim that we hear so often in our culture. I'm good enough to be saved. I can do this. I'm all that. And to, to this crowd, the cross then becomes offensive, right? Because the cross tells the person who thinks he's strong that you're not strong. The cross tells this individual that you're actually weak. The cross says to the person who thinks he's being good that you're not good. I'm going to be good enough to be saved. The cross says, no, you're not good enough. How does it, how does it say that? Well, if we were good enough to save ourselves, then Jesus would not be hanging on the cross in the first place. There would be no need for the cross. The very reason why Christ came and died on the cross is because we're not good and we're not good enough. The very reason he's hanging on the cross is not because humanity is strong. It's because humanity is weak. It's because humanity needs a savior. And so the first crowd is the insulated crowd who's offended by the gospel because they don't want to hear that they're too weak to save themselves. The second crowd is the intolerant crowd. The intolerant crowd. In this crowd, you see, the, the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the truth claim of the gospel is it's very exclusive. You understand that, right? The, the gospel is very exclusive. Jesus Christ is very exclusive. That's offensive and draws persecution. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and here's the exclusivity, the exclusive claim of Christ. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's got to be some other ways here, right? Because, because there's good people out there, and, they're, and they're, they're genuine in their faith of whatever sort it might be. Jesus is saying, there is only one way to that final destination, heaven with him. That you're on the road to Colorado headed south on I-95. That's what Jesus is saying. He's making a truth claim. And for this world or for our hearts this morning, I say this respectfully. I say this, I pray for some that you would hear me this morning that to say that, well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me, either it's true or it's not true. And I would encourage you to dig into this book, dig into Christ and his claims, because either what he claims is true or it's not true, but it's not both. And Jesus plus any other individual throughout history who's considered to be a good prophet or a good teacher or a good moral person to then put your faith in that person. If you put your faith in Buddha or you put your faith in Jesus, we're both going to end up in the, in the same place. Jesus says, no, you're wrong. 
you're headed the wrong way on that road. And if your desire, your final destination is here, then you need to get off that road, turn around, repent of your sins, and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Tolerance sounds so kind today. You believe what you want to believe, and I'll do the same with what I want to believe, and everything's going to turn out fine. I'm grateful for the guy on the train who says, everything's not going to turn out fine for you. You're going to end up missing your plane later on this afternoon. You see, tolerance isn't needed on the train when you're headed the wrong direction. I don't need tolerance. I need truth. This world needs truth. It's spoken in love. This individual was gentle. He was kind. But he was also clear about the truth claim he was making. And it was extremely helpful. We did get breakfast in London that morning. In other words, Buddhism and Islam and Jews and Christians can't be, can't be all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to God because they're not basically the same. Like our culture says, they're basically all the same. They're not basically the same. Coexist, I'm for that. I'm for that. We live, hey, not everybody's gonna sign up for Christianity. I'm for treating any individual in all religions with respect, but they're not all the same. I can live next door, no problem. because they can't all be truth. They're not all the same. For one to be true is for others to be false. It can't be both. We can't be both reincarnated and be taken to heaven. One's true and one's not true. So the intolerant is offended by the gospel because the gospel isn't inclusive. That's called universalism. Everybody goes to heaven in the end. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is those who repent of their sins and trust in this roadmap. And this roadmap tells us this is how you get to your destination. You trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, Paul is saying that crowd is persecuting those who are believing the gospel. The third crowd is the ignorant. I don't mean that in a demeaning way. I just mean that some individuals don't know what roads to take to get to Colorado, right? I don't know. I have no clue what roads to take to get to Colorado. I know where to find out. I've got a roadmap. But I'm ignorant in how to get to Colorado. Again, not to belittle, not to demean, but the ignorant have never looked at the map. How do I get there? When it's all over, when my life, when your life is all over, how do I get to God? Well, we have a map. God's provided for us a map. 
No, not all roads lead to heaven. That's ignorance. Listen, good people, people that we would deem, oh, he or she is such a good person, will die and go to hell. They're on the wrong train, going the wrong way. Good people are just as much in need of Jesus Christ as bad people. People who are generally trying to love others, generally seeking to be a good neighbor, generally, uh, what, serving in the soup kitchen, doing, doing great things in society. Folks that we would look at and go, ah, oh, such a good person. Not on the road that leads to eternal life. The gospel is offensive, not for the sake of being offensive, it's offensive because it offends the human heart that wants to think that it's strong enough or good enough, is, is on the right road. I can, I can dismiss God out of hand and yet I can still just work my way there. I'll figure it out on my own. Praise be to me. And so it says all the man-made religions and all the forms of self-salvation and it bundles them all up into one pile And says, any of these, you pick or choose, whatever true is true for you, it'll get you there, of whatever variety, of whatever sort. And the Bible says, no, God's word, Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, it's exclusive. You see, if your motive is to serve God, Either the motive, is, the motive for serving God is either to be showy, like these individuals here, or to avoid suffering, these individuals here, the persecution, then the cross. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're trying to be showy or avoid persecution, the cross of Christ is not for you. Christianity is not for you. The gospel is not for you. Because there's nothing about Christianity that's showy about ourselves. Now, it's showy, but it looks away from self, and it points all that showiness to Christ. That's why we sing this morning. That's why we celebrate Jesus Christ. Oh, it's a showy religion, for sure. True Christianity, I think, is the most showiest of them all. Boast in Jesus Christ, Paul says. True Christianity will bring, it will take away the showiness of self and it will bring a persecution of some sort to your front door. See, the cross is either joy or anger. The cross is either worship or scorn. Celebration or depression. Beauty or repugnant? Life or death? Embraced or hated? Faith or fear? But it's not both. And for those reasons, it doesn't 
verse 12, it doesn't show well of self, but it does bring persecution. When I say that, Trinity, know this. It's easier to do good works. It's easier to hold to a a moral religion. It's easier to go with self, self works, rather than put all your weight of all your eternity on Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. You know, you can be showy without Christ and people will exalt you. They will. You can be showy of Christ and people will hate you. Your personal ministry is an easier road if you were to just call people to be better citizens. Just be more moral. You know, this this world that we live in, this country that we live in, has no problem with being more moral. Just serve in more soup kitchens. Just be a kinder person to those who are around you. It almost even starts to sound a little bit like Christianity, but it's not Christianity. Do X, Y, and Z and never deal with your heart. Just put, a, put an exterior show of good works and this world will love you for that. Actually, if you're famous enough, they'll give you a Nobel Peace Prize for that. But do what you do For Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. Serve in the same soup kitchen, love the same people, and on and on, but do it for and because of the cross of Christ, that same effort has become offensive. That's why I say it's easier to go with the flesh. Because the cross calls us to repentance and it calls us to quit trusting in ourselves. It calls us to quit with the nonsense of all these roads. They're all gonna lead to Colorado. No, they won't. This book is our map and it tells us how to get there. Paul has a big gospel. How big is your gospel? Is your gospel bigger than stapling some good-looking fruit on the tree? Is it big enough that your works are not needed? That's a big gospel. Is your gospel big enough that it's able to save you completely, entirely, that, that, that your gospel is so big that it's able to keep you to the end? Christ is sufficient. He's got this. Is it big enough to change you, not just some exterior things about you, but to change you from the roots, to change you from the inside, to change you from out of repentance that we then grow and we display these fruits as a means to boast in Jesus Christ? A big gospel brings about an appropriate, an appropriated Boasting. The worship team would join me. Number three, a Christian's guide to boasting. 
Verse 13, in the middle of verse 13, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. At the core of your salvation, church, ask yourself, what do I boast in? What do I got? What do I got to celebrate? Is it your flesh? Is it your efforts? Is it what you're doing? Is it your works? Is it the energy that you give to it? Is it the good things you do? Or is it the cross of Jesus Christ? Join with Paul. I boast in Jesus Christ. Is it the flesh or is it the cross? Is it my good works or is it God's good, good works, Christ's good works? Is it my sacrifice or is it Christ's sacrifice for me? Is it what I do or is it in what he has already done? You see, the error of Galatians is obvious and yet it's so subtle. They didn't dismiss Christ. They just belittled him. They didn't kick him out. They said, oh, Jesus is good. We need Jesus, but he's just not good enough. We need our works to be added to Jesus's works. That's what's going to get us to Colorado. That's what's going to get us all the way home. Well, the map doesn't say that. It's the wrong road. And so they didn't dismiss Jesus. They just set him to the side. They didn't say we, didn't, we don't want Christ. They said he's helpful. He's a good addition to what we're doing. Christ is fine, but my works are needed. And the result of that thinking is boasting in the flesh, not in the cross of Christ. We end up boasting in what I do rather than in what Christ has done. Boast in the cross of Christ, church. Ultimately, this is why we've preached Galatians. Our first sermon was, why Galatians? Our last sermon is, here's your biggest reason why. So that we can boast more loudly in Jesus Christ, in the cross of Christ. Boast in Christ alone. Christ alone saves you. Boast in his sacrifice, his blood, that he has purchased you by his blood. He laid down his life so that you might be given life. He died so that you might live. And Galatians told us he, in that he gave us his spirit that we can now cry out to him, Abba, Father. We are now sons of God, heirs of God. Changed. He's changed us. He's changed everything about you. Your entire identity is now changed in Jesus Christ. The most, the, the biggest identifier about you is not that you're engineer, not that you're police officer, right? Not that I'm pastor, not that you're a husband or a wife, not that you're homeschooling or you are educating. The biggest identifier about you is you are Christian. You are in Christ. That is your identity.
We now belong to Christ. We are in Christ with the Spirit living in us. That is Galatians. And what Paul is saying, give me the pen. (laughs) Go ahead and boast in that. Oh, foolish Galatians, you're boasting in this showiness of your own fruit. No, boast in Christ. Go ahead and boast in that. He says in verse 15, I'm a new creation. I have a new birth. I have a new identity. Because moral-based religion has been exposed at the cross. The law has been revealed to leave us longing at the cross of Christ. Christ is my Savior. He is my Redeemer. He is able. He is sufficient. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the one that says, it is finished. He gets it done from A to Z. Your future is secure. Ascribe to the Lord. Let there be loud boasting in the glory of our God. Let there be loud singing and joy and rejoicing because there is nothing in you or I that commends us to God. That is not a road that will lead us to God, lead us to heaven when it's all over. But what will lead us has been provided through Jesus Christ. Boast in that. That is everything he has provided, everything you and I need for salvation. Nothing more is needed. It's all outside of you, nothing inside of you. It's all from him, and that's what commends us to God. The cross of Christ is my all in all. So verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's stand together. There's been a song actually early on in our series, Josiah texted me. He's like, we got to do this song because it fits for Galatians. And I feel like it's this song has just become kind of the theme of Galatians. So let's enjoy it one last time in our Galatians series. Let's lift our voices together and let's make some loud boasting in Jesus Christ.